The word of God says in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and again, verses 10 through 20, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. Verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, as we get back into chapter four, I do just want to make mention that this is our last episode around this burning bush. Um, this started back uh, quite a few episodes ago with the design of the desert back in chapter three, verse one. And now for the past chapter and a half, we have been camping out at this burning bush. But as you could see in the final portion of this text, verses 18 through 20, that we are now departing and moving on into a new portion. Uh, I would like to call this episode please send someone else. And I think that will become very clear as we go along. Please send someone else. It certainly sounds like a, a missionary title of, um, of, a, of a sermon, but in reality, it's the call of every single believer in Jesus Christ. And that will become clear as we walk through this portion. Now, last time we were together, we focused on that, the, the, the portion of the text, which I skipped reading, and that would be verses three through nine, in Exodus chapter 4, where we saw the three signs, and we called it the signs of God's heart, how God revealed that he had indeed not only been seeing everything going on, but God cared. And we looked at what God's big picture is in the midst of the affliction, the attacks, the annihilation that the Hebrews had been going through. But at the beginning of last episode, I did briefly mention a little three-part outline that we did not discuss, nor are we going to focus on it today. But we saw that this chapter begins with a denying of God's word, where Moses is suggesting that God is simply incorrect. Um, and how does he do that? Well, he does it in verse 1 by saying, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And then he says, uh, they will say, the Lord did not appear to you, which is interesting because God just said in the last chapter that they are going to believe. Isn't it interesting that we can say with certainty, a future certainty, the very opposite of what God has already said will happen. Now, we might claim that we're not like Moses and we don't struggle with such uh, situations of doubt, but when you come to verses, for instance, uh, how about a very well-known one like Romans 8.28, right, where we, we, know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
And we, we, we say, yeah, amen, I'm going to cling to that. Well, then what happens when things don't work out for the good that you were expecting? And we can begin to doubt and we can begin to um, uh, contradict God's word and say, well, that didn't work out for good. Well, first of all, we see a partial picture. But secondly, do we read the next verse, verse 29? Because verse 29 of Romans 8 tells us that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, what is God up to? God is conforming us who belong to him, conforming us into the image of his son. That is the good that he is doing in us. He's making us look like Jesus. And so it's very easy for us to uh, see a situation and just see our present circumstance rather than seeing God's promise and seeing what God is up to. And so again, uh, here, Moses is struggling. He's suggesting that God is, in fact, incorrect. And, and we'll come to more of that in a little bit. And then, of course, we saw that, uh, that, that there was a deeming God withdrawn, and that was the whole purpose of the signs. They felt it, it seemed that God was indifferent, indifferent to their suffering. And I think we saw very clearly last time God was not indifferent to their suffering, but rather God was intimately involved in the lives of those who were suffering. And then we see a, a depreciating of God's work where we suggest that God is incapable of doing what he wants to do, in this case, of using Moses. And, and we'll discuss that quite a bit in detail as we walk through this. So that was kind of the outline for the first 20 verses that we were working with, starting with last time. And again, it's not an outline I'm, I'm speaking on, so you don't, don't, don't feel like you need to keep it in front of you. I'm not coming back to it. I just want to kind of give you uh, an outline so you understand there's these three portions of the first 20 verses. But today, today uh, I really want to focus in on the introductory portion of uh, the Lord asking Moses what's in his hand and then looking at Moses' excuses. So there are three elements, three elements to today's podcast. First, we want to recognize what is in your hand, recognize what is in your hand. Then we're going to move from there to relinquishing what you have relinquishing what you have, and then finally we'll go to responding to the Lord. So recognize what's in your hand, relinquish what you have, and respond to the Lord. Uh, there's a great um, picture I have in my mind, and I actually want to share it with you. If uh, you're listening to this on audio podcasts, you'll have to just stick to um, the audio that you hear. But uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, I'm going to give you a clip here in a minute. Um, years ago, back in 2016, I was um, speaking at a school in, in Myanmar, one of my favorite places in the world, this particular school. And as I was, uh, as I was speaking, um, or, or as I was there for the course of this week, the director of the school told me that the, the kids, the children, had just recently learned the Hallelujah Chorus and uh, asked if I would like to hear it. Well, let me tell you, this was one of the most moving moments of my life, and you're going um, I to, think, I think you'll see why um, in a minute. But um, they brought out the 300 or so students, and not all of them were part of this um, song, but everybody was brought out to listen to this performance of it. And they said, uh, "Just you just enjoy it. Go walk among them. Just go walk among them as they sing. And then the director let me in on a little secret. She says, when they learned the Hallelujah Chorus, 
This is amazing. It, it, first of all, every class was assigned a portion of the song. When I say a portion, I don't mean like part of the song. I mean a part to sing in the song. So they were assigned. Some were sopranos, some were altos, some were basses. And it didn't depend on their vocal range. It depended on what class they were in. So basically, every class was just learning to sing their part. Now, if you know the Hallelujah Chorus whatsoever, you know that if you sing only your part, it doesn't sound that good. I mean, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. I mean, you're like, can you cease what you're doing right now, Nathan? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to cease what I'm doing because it just doesn't really work well by itself. The point is that portion of the song is meant to, to, to be uh, sung in conjunction with the other parts of the song. So... What she shared with me was every class learned their part, but what they didn't know is they didn't know they were part of a bigger song. So here they were learning these strange pieces of music, pieces that may have even seemed out of their range. And yet one day they brought them all together. The entire school, I think it was grades three through the seniors, they brought every class together and they started to show them where their part of the song fit in. And how all the voices, when melded together, when put together, raised this chorus we call the Hallelujah Chorus. And how majestic it is to hear these children belting out the words, and he shall reign forever and ever. I want you to listen in. But as you listen and remember, these kids didn't know they were part of a bigger song. But when their voices all came together, this is the result. And it... I apologize. Uh, this is like negative megapixels, so just enjoy the audio when the video you really can't enjoy. That was nothing short of amazing. Gets me every time. And when I say every time, I literally mean every time. When I think about those kids in their classroom not knowing that they were part of something so much bigger. And yet when they were willing to offer their part, their voice, this was the result. See, this is the reality of your life. The reality of your role, your part, it might not make, in fact, it won't make sense when it's divorced from God's plan, from God's purpose, from the song that God is leading. There's a, there's a song that came out years ago, all creation is a song waiting to be sung. 
every instrument and voice created for the one. The point is that there is a song to be sung. And, and think about it, in the church, there's a song to be sung. And we all have been given a portion to sing. We're part of the body of Christ. We're not a solo, soloist. We're not carrying the tune, but we sing our part. And that's what we're going to see here in Exodus chapter 4. What is the first question that God asks Moses in this chapter? He says, what is in your hand? And this is where we need to begin. We need to recognize what is in our hand. Of course, the answer is a staff. Now, we saw the bigger a bigger picture of that where it means the word tribe and how um, we saw in the signs of God's heart uh, the implications of that. But here he says a staff. And this is this is there's there's multiple layers I think as we we start to unpack this. But don't miss this principle. God's gonna use what Moses picked up over 40 years ago. He doesn't put things in our hands. He doesn't give us experiences that are just a waste. No, they're for his glory. You might feel like you have a lot of waste in your life, but God wants to redeem the waste and use it for his divine purpose. Um, sometimes people like to say, I've wasted my life, but that is, that's not the truth when you're still living. Why? Because even when we turn over the things that seem so useless, God says, I can use that in my economy. Isn't it great that God chose to use the staff in Moses' hand rather than the scepter he formerly had in the palace? So the question was not asked here to give God information that he didn't have, but this question was specifically asked to direct Moses' attention to what was in his hand. He says, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? <laughs> I guess and I see it, but do you see it? Do you see what's in your hand? God loves to use what's in our hand. When you walk through scripture, you can see things like what was in Shamgar's hand over in Judges 3 or, or what was in David's hand when he walked to face Goliath um, in, in 1 Samuel 17. Or what about Samson's hand? Of course, that was a jawbone, right? In Judges 15. Or remember the little boy in the Gospels, um, like in John 6, for instance, where where uh, the disciples find him, what's in his hand? Five loaves of bread and two small fish, as if that makes any difference among 5,000 men plus women and children. Um, I like to think about what was in the Lord Jesus' hands too. Um, Roman nails, Roman nails were in his hand. Of course, that's a bit different context. It's not that he came with those in his hand. They put them in his hand, but still, um, it's a thought that I, I definitely can't help but think of. But the question, what is in your hand? That's really where we want to be. This is a question of examination. It's a question of probing. Probing maybe from my angle, but examination for each one of you. Examination, they take time to think about it. What is it in your hand that God has given you? Now, we could take it another direction too. Maybe you have something in your hand that God doesn't want in your hand. It's something he says release because if your hand is full of that, it can't be full of the things I want to put in it. Maybe that's your past. Maybe it's hurt in your life. Maybe it's it's things like um, addictions. It could be things like pornography. It could, it could be... Um, just situations of um, of uh, regret or even unforgiveness. You can have a lot of things in your hand that God doesn't want in your hand. But let's speak of this from the positive context. What's in your hand? There's three aspects of recognizing what's in your hand. First of all, um, what's accessible, what's apparent, and what's available. First of all, what's accessible? Um, I like to start not so much with what's not in your hand, but what is in your hand. In other words, we can always use excuses of why we can't do something. And and this is pretty much uh, Moses' approach, right? He's giving God all the reasons why he can't do what God says that he is called to do. 
The reality is you can focus on what's not in your hand, but God's not worried about what's not in your hand. He wants what is in your hand. I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not the things that we don't know about God that are the problem. It's the things we do know that we're not responding to at the present time. So God wants us to respond, and we'll get to the response part, but God wants us to respond by recognizing what is in our hand at the very moment. Um, it, it's interesting, too. It's not just that which is accessible, like um, so the giftings God's equipped you with or the resources he's given you, whether that's time, whether that's money, whether that's something physical. But also, what's apparent? What's right before you? In other words, when I say it's not just accessible, but it's apparent. You see it with your eyes. You see it with whether it's your, your physical eyes or your spiritual eyes. Don't, over, uh, don't overcomplicate matters here. When I'm saying what's in your hand, I'm asking you, take inventory of your life right now. Take the time to do it. Pause this podcast. Do whatever it takes, but take inventory. What's in your hand? It might be the children you take care of every day. It might be the, the house that God's given you. Man, what a, what a realm of hospitality. It might be your bank account. It might be your gifting. It might be the time on your hands. It might be the fact that you have a prayer closet that's going unused. I don't know, but what is before you? What's accessible? What's apparent? What's available? You know, when I think about these three things, I think about the staff in Moses' hand. What was the staff to Moses? Well, the staff was his identity as a shepherd, wasn't it? It was his identity. Um, If you're carrying a staff around, people typically would say, you're a shepherd. But a a staff wasn't just the identity of a shepherd. It was also the tool of his trade. Um, And so that that tool was used for many things. Um, It could be used for rescuing sheep. It could be used for stability as he walked. It could be used for counting the sheep as they come back into the sheepfold at night. They pass underneath that staff, that rod. Um, And I understand rod and staff are two different things, um, but they could use the staff for that as well. And so... Understand it was also a source of protection, a protection for the sheep. It could fend off um, predators or critters or, or separate uh, sheep that are butting each other. And so the point is that what was in his hand really meant a lot to him. And here God says, throw it down, throw it down. And that brings us to the second thing, relinquish what you have. Now, I just want to bring out a little side point. This is not the message, but it is a mini message. And so maybe it's what you need to hear. When Moses chooses to obey God and he throws the staff on the ground. Now, we discussed this last time, um, not the point I'm making now, but we discussed the idea, the, the sign of him throwing it down and becoming a, a, a serpent, a snake. And then he grabs it by the zanav, by the tail, and it becomes again that staff. But think about this. When, when Moses obeys God and he throws that staff on the ground, it becomes a serpent, a snake. What is one of the greatest threats to sheep in the wilderness? It's snakes. It's snakes. So what does it do? Moses obeys God, and literally the situation becomes worse. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever obeyed God, and bam, all of a sudden it's like, what, God, I just followed you, and now my situation just seriously got more severe. It got worse in my perspective. You just said all things work together for good, and I obeyed you, and things are going poorly. I want you to understand you're in company. Because we see such a portion. What was God doing? He's actually showing his heart. But for a, a moment there, Moses certainly thought, oh man, obeying God is a very dangerous thing. Well, it is dangerous. Take up your cross and follow me. You're not going on vacation. You're on your way to die. But he does promise that the last chapter is forever. 
with the Lord. So we have relinquish what you have. Well, as he's called to relinquish, what are some of the things he has to relinquish? Well, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, he has to relinquish his inability. In chapter 3, 13 through the end of that chapter, 22, he has to relinquish his inadequacy, recognizing it's about the I am. It's not about who he is. And now we have him needing to relinquish his inferiority. He has a serious inferiority complex going on. Um Now, it's also encouraging, though, that God doesn't just move on because at some point it seems that God could have just, he could have, but uh, he would have just said, okay, Moses, you know what? You're not the guy, especially after he says, please send someone else. And if I'm God, I'm like, you know what? That's a pretty good idea, Moses. I'm just going to send someone else. But I love that God does not just give up on Moses. Um, And and there's actually, I, I think, real purpose as to why God doesn't just move on. But what is Moses' concern um, This about relinquishing his inferiority? Well, go back to verse 1. It says, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And then verse 8, Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. I, I, I want to make note of a certain word being used here. Look at verse 1. They will not listen to my voice voice. Pay attention to voice. Verse 8, did you see the the words, the message, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign? The word message in verse 8 is the word voice. Uh, It's this word call, and it's also used in verse 9 again. In fact, the world uh, English translation translates it, it will happen if they will neither believe you nor listen to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Now, this is great. It might not seem great to you, but this is great because what's God saying here? God's saying, you were concerned about them not listening to your voice. But here's the point. It's not your voice. It's my voice. It's my voice speaking. I'm using your body. I'm using your vocal cords, but it's not your voice. This is indeed my voice. Throughout the pages of scripture, we see uh, things have their own voice. Psalm 19, 1 to 3 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, declare, proclaims, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not her. You see, the day, the night, the heavens above us, the beasts of the field, the, the stones, they have voices that cry out. And this is what I believe the Lord means when he says these words to Moses. The signs, it's not about Moses, will proclaim their voice to the people. It's also interesting too, right? Because he says a staff is in his hand. That same word, the staff or this rod, um, it actually is used elsewhere in scripture of having a voice. The staff itself had a voice. We see that in Micah chapter 6 verse 9 because the word is mate. Uh, and, and it's said to speak to the people, uh, again, Micah 6 9, the voice of the Lord cries to the city and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. You get that? Hear of the rod, <laughs> Mate. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Yet, so even with all of that, what's Moses' excuse in verse 10? <laughs> he says, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. There's an interesting comment uh, made in the Archaeology Bible, and it said this, 
and I'm quoting, Egyptian magicians were well known for being eloquent orators who gloried in their splendid powers of speech. You get that? So they gloried in their splendid powers of speech. Here, Moses says, hey, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. It, was that true? Uh, I mean, I kind of doubt it. I think this is an excuse because Acts chapter 7 verse 22 tells us that Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So unless 40 years in the dry desert ruined his abilities to communicate, he obviously was eloquent to some degree. He was mighty in his words and deeds. But this is a wake-up call. Because going back to that, that quote from the archaeology Bible, they gloried in their splendid powers of speech. I can't help but think of Jeremiah 9.24. And I have to share this one from the New King James Version because this is where I learned it. And also it uses the word glory. And that's why I thought of it in the first place. But it says, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So again, it, we're not to glory in our splendid powers of speech. So it's good that Moses came recognizing that, wow, I have to relinquish myself. But do we stop there? Do we stop with just this so-called humility, which really isn't humility, it's a lack of boldness, but this idea of I can't do it because I'm not qualified, that's not the point. The point is he is qualified. He is with you. It's him speaking through you. It's not your voice. It's God's voice. And he happens to be using this frail, fragile vessel called Nate Bramson or fill in your name. So we don't glory in our strength or our ability, but friends, Jesus promises to us what he promised to Moses as well, and that is, I will be with you. It's not about your ability or your lack thereof. It is about his presence and the fullness thereof. So go forward on his word. Go forward on his word. God responded in verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I? the Lord. Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And now, of course, it's after all of this that Moses gives us the title of this message. Please send someone else in verse 13. And then we read the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And that's when he goes on to say, ah, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. That always gets me. I know that he can speak well. I know that he can speak well. Maybe God's not looking for someone who can speak well. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought that the very things that you think are excuses are actually what God was looking for? Maybe he's not looking for the rich to give abundantly. Maybe he's looking for the poor to do so. Maybe he's not looking for the skilled to be the one to speak. Maybe he's looking for the one who stutters. Maybe he's not looking for the one who seems to have all the time in the world to do something. Maybe he's looking for that one that's changing diapers all day and is exhausted and seemingly nothing left to say, open your home and fill your table with good things for the hurting. See, I know, I know Aaron can speak, but I want you because through you, I'll be glorified. But notice it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is powerful language. 
the anger of the Lord. The word used in verse 14 is nostril, nose, face, anger. It's like this flaring up, you know, like, you know, that, that, that kind of idea of woo, uh, intensity. In fact, the first time it's used is Genesis 2-7, where it speaks of the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature the word nostrils in genesis three nineteen, it says by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread face is that same word so just to give you a little understanding the very thing though that qualified moses or aaron in worldly eyes is why god wanted the weakness of moses and so i want to just remind you of what god said to paul he said this back in um, 2 Corinthians, or I should say over in 2 Corinthians, since we're actually in Exodus chapter 4, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on upon me for the sake of Christ." Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 24, we read, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. <laughs> Relinquish what you have relinquish the excuses you hold on to give of yourself knowing that it's his voice speaking through this earthly vessel the final thing we want to just touch on is responding to the lord respond to the lord we see this in verse 20 ultimately where it says so moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of egypt and moses took the staff of god in his hand before we really jump into verse 20 in the last couple minutes we have, I want to suggest to you three reasons why Moses' struggle was legitimate. Um, I, I say this because many of you have the same struggle. So I, I, I want to, I'm legitimizing your struggle. I'm not legitimizing your disobedience. Okay, there's a big difference. So your struggle does not qualify you for exemption. I'm just acknowledging the struggle is real. First of all, Moses had trauma. He had trauma in his past. God is calling him to go back to a people that rejected him. They said, who made you a ruler and judge over us back in chapter 2? This is a people where, where even on the Egyptian side, they wanted to kill him. So there's trauma. There's also time. A lot of time has passed. I mean, first of all, the Hebrews have been enslaved for a great period of time. Um, at this point, over 200 years. But, but. Also, it's been 40 years since Moses has even been there, lived there. Everything's changed. I mean, imagine coming back to your hometown 40 years later. You'll hardly recognize the place. I mean, I went back to San Luis, Senegal, where I was born and raised. Uh, just, uh, well, I mean, I've been back multiple times, but I went back just recently. Yeah, I, I, I got lost in my own city. I, I don't recognize the landmarks as before. Imagine 40 years. Trauma, time, 
And then of course there were threats. It wasn't just this, oh yeah, I was traumatized in the past. It's like, there are threats now, threats now. And so you have to understand that uh, Moses' lack of faith was natural. It wasn't godly, but it was natural. But watch what happens. And this is a great way to end. It's a great place to end. Verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took a <laughs> pause. I have to stop there. You see, I can't read the end of that verse yet. Because the end of that verse is going to give away something which is just so climatic. And yet uh, we might miss it if we don't set the stage. Go back to verse 2. What did verse 2 say? God says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff, a, a, a staff, a staff. Then you get down to verse 17. Take in your hand this staff, a staff, this staff, a staff, this staff. You get it, right? Well, now get to verse 20. It says, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Do you understand what happened? Somewhere between verse 2 and verse 20, an ordinary staff, a staff made of wood, a staff used to count sheep, a staff used to pull sheep out of a difficult situation, a staff used to hit the ground for a little more stability, a staff used to fend off enemies, a staff used perhaps to, to gather things together. Just an ordinary staff went from being a staff to the staff of God. Friends, this is not some distanced story from your own. Because indeed, you have a voice, but your voice could be used as the voice of God. You have a bank account, but your bank account could be used as the bank account of God. You have a home, but your home could be used as a home of God. See, you have in your hand that which is intended for the glory of God. And yet I wonder, do we hold on to our staff at the expense of it not being God's staff? He invites us into a story which is eternal, both in the results and in the reward of it. The staff that was previously used to count sheep returning to the fold would now strike a river bringing devastation to a nation. The staff that formerly rescued sheep in precarious situations would be raised above the Red Sea to divide the sea, dry the sand, and rescue the sheep of Israel from their precarious situation. The staff that previously provided stability for an aging man named Moses in the desert, as he trekked that midbar, would now be raised above the fighting armies in the valley of Rephidim, bringing victory over the Amalekites. You get the point. Put your resources in the hand of an extraordinary God and watch your life become extraordinary. Oh, may we live a life where people look at our life and say, that life is humanly impossible except that God be with her or him. In Galatians 2.20, we read, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said it a little differently to the church at Colossae. He said, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you will appear with him in glory. That's Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. There's a hymn I was thinking about um, in relation to this episode and in preparation. It was written apparently by Mary Maxwell, although there's details around the hymn writer and the hymn itself, which are vague and unclear, but that's really beside the point. The hymn stands. The, the chorus says, Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power, flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. But I want to I wanna read this one verse of the song. Emptied that thou shouldst fill me, a clean vessel in thy hand, with no power, but as thou givest, graciously with each command. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. Think back on that hallelujah chorus that you heard earlier. Friends, you have a part to sing. This isn't about your goodness. This is about God's glory. Sing your part. What's in your hand? Let his voice speak through your channel. Let him use you and let him be glorified. But for now, our time is up. Please check out www.intoyourbible.org for much more, for more videos, information, show notes, resources, um, and I pray it'll be a place of blessing for you. But remember, this has been Into Your Bible, and our prayer for you is that you would be one who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word.